How we doing? We're going to get straight in this morning. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Pray that you'd bless the speaker. That you'd bless the hearers. And yeah, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and what you're going to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you can see there, we're, we're in a series called, Is Faith Really a Big Deal? Is Faith a Big Deal? And as you can see in that graphic, we've got old mate there that's climbing the mountain, and I'm just going to recap a little bit about what I spoke two weeks ago. And a while ago, the Lord led me into a journey of actually researching all the miracles as recorded in the Gospels. And we know that Jesus did thousands of miracles, but there's actually 37 specific miracles that are recorded. And in that 30, those 37 miracles, 20 of them, Jesus actually attributes the miracle to the person's faith. After those, out of those 37 miracles, there's 20 that he actually has a, a commentary at the end and he says, hey, according to your faith, there was a manifestation of a miracle. And so we actually know that faith is a really big deal. I would like to say again, as Carol said, that faith is actually a thing that takes us to, to, to actually see the promises fulfilled over our lives. Faith is this key element, or a primary element, may I say, that actually reveals and, 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 and enables us to see the promises of God fulfilled over our lives, our, our church. And so because we know faith is so important, how many know that we want more faith? Of course. And the disciples had a front row seat into seeing Jesus operating in faith, seeing other people come and because of their faith they were healed. Because of the faith... A miracle happened. And so in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, the apostles asked a question that you and me would have asked as we were observing the life of Jesus. They said, verse 5, it says, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And this is interesting in verse 6 because he replied and said, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Here the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, we've seen how powerful this thing called faith is. Increase our faith. And he turns the tables and says, hey, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that tree, be uprooted and it'll move. In another part, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, move, and it will move. Isn't this fascinating that here Jesus is actually saying, you only need a little bit of faith.
then why aren't we all living out the life of Jesus, seeing miracles, signs and wonders? It's interesting that this most powerful element of faith can actually be made ineffective, can actually be diluted by another powerful force, and that's called unbelief. Unbelief. It's interesting that faith can be totally nullified, can be totally void by this thing called unbelief. It's like the kryptonite of faith. So the kryptonite of faith is this thing called unbelief. And oftentimes I've thought in the church and for whatever reason, it's like, hey, if I have faith in my life, then I won't have unbelief. Who's ever thought that before? I'll just get more faith. I'm just going to get more faith and then the unbelief will disappear. But that's not true. We can actually have these two elements existing at the same time. Faith and unbelief can actually coexist in our lives. We know this because in Mark chapter 9, we know the story when Jesus is up the mountain, he comes down and there's a, there's a desperate father and he's like said to his disciples, hey, he's brought his son who's, who's possessed by an evil spirit and the disciples can't cast out the demon and Jesus comes, and what does the Father say? Je- Jesus is talking to him, and he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. What he's saying is, I have faith. It might be small, but I have a mustard seed faith, but help my unbelief. See, faith and unbelief can, faith and unbelief can coexist in our hearts and our minds. We also see in Mark chapter 5, we talked about this a fortnight ago, that with Jairus' daughter, Jesus says, only believe. It's the same element at work. There's faith, but there's a circumstance, there's things going on that would cause unbelief. And Jesus is saying in this scenario, once again, you have faith, but it's unbelief. So therefore, this amazing element of faith, maybe it's not so much of us increasing our faith, but removing the doubt, removing the unbelief. Because once again, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I would like to propose that there can be two seeds in our garden. How many know that if we have this mustard seed sized faith and it can be planted in our life and it can grow, but we also know that in the natural sense that when we plant a plant or some crops, We plant a seed, but then there's other seeds that come and find their way into the garden. And these other seeds, they actually compete for the nutrients. They compete for the moisture. They compete for all these things this little seed, this plant needs to grow. And if we don't tend the garden, what happens? 
We have weeds that grow up and they actually provide shade. They actually stop the sunlight from getting this plant that we've planted. The very plant that we've planted is robbed of nutrients, moisture and sunlight. How many know that that's in an environment where it can't grow? And so this morning, I want us to have a look at a passage of Scripture in Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to have a look at what we can do, create an environment where not only do we increase in faith, but more importantly this morning, we're going to look at how do we remove unbelief? Because Jesus said, if you have faith, pure faith, undiluted faith, anything is possible to you or to those who believe. Numbers chapter 13. We have this story here where Israel has just been led by Moses out of the Egyptians. It's an incredible story where they've crossed the Red Sea. God has done a miraculous thing where this whole Egyptian army has been defeated. They're moving forward and not only has God led them out of slavery for many, many years, but he's now leading them into a promised land. And here they are walking along and they're they're moving into the promised land. And they arrive at the gates of this promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies. He sends 12 spies to go spy out the land. How many know that's a good idea? Go check it out. Send the scouts in. Have a look at it and come and bring a report. He doesn't just send 12 random people. He actually picks 12 people that are leaders of each of the tribes of Israel. These 12 men are the elite spiritual warriors in Israel at that time. Just consider this for a moment. These men were the most faithful followers of God. Not only were they following God, but they were leading their tribe, leading these 12 tribes of Israel. Moses has picked the cream of the crop. He's picked the elite. He's picked the most spiritual. These incredible leaders that come. These aren't people that have just woken up one day and it's like, hey, we'll just follow God. These are people that for generations and generations, they have been following God. And here this elite group of men come and they set off on this journey to spy out this promised land. And we pick the story up in verse 26 of chapter 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. 
and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Their Amalekites live, the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are, are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seem like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we look the same to them. This is interesting. So here we have these 12 elite men, leaders of God. For generations, they've been faithfully serving God, following God. And here they are, and you can just imagine that they go in and they spy out the land, and all of a sudden, they come back with a negative report. How many know why the Israelites wandered for 40 years? It's unbelief. A journey that was meant to take them days took them 40 years because of their unbelief. I think there's several things that we can look at this passage, particularly at Joshua and Caleb, to see how they overcome or how they overcame unbelief in a culture that was totally unbelieving. There's three ways I can see from this passage of how to overcome our unbelief. Remember, this is like the seeds in the garden. What we want to do is we want to starve the unbelief so that the faith even as small as a mustard seed can grow, be potent and powerful. So how do we destroy the unbelief? There's, there's three practical things I hope for you this morning that we see in this passage. Number one, we overcome unbelief by knowing God's will, His word and His promises. Number one, we overcome unbelief by knowing God's will, His word and His promises. We have this story, and I can imagine when, when the 12 spies took off on this journey, you've got to remember that it's recently, it's been in recent times that the, that the Lord has actually defeated the Egyptians. This is fresh in their memory. They've been in slavery for a long, long time, as long as they can remember, and the Lord's just released them out of that environment and, and defeated their enemies, and here they are on this journey into the promised land. And I could imagine at the start of the journey, how many know that they would have been excited? They would have been testifying about the things of God. These 12 men, these 12 uh, uh, spies, the elite of the 12 tribes of Israel would have been walking along with excitement, with anticipation for this promised land they were about to cross into. And I can imagine if these 12 spies 
if they first saw the crops there and these amazing sized grapes or this fruit, they would have been excited because they would have said to each other, see, it's exactly how he promised. They would have said, look, this land is exactly how the Lord has promised. But then something happened in the 40-day journey. We see that whatever happened, but their observation they started to look at other things. They started observing the fortified cities. They started observing the giants. They started observing the fortresses and the strongholds. There was two people that were there that actually had a different heart, had a different spirit. And that was Joshua and Caleb. Now I'd like to propose that Joshua and Caleb didn't walk around for 40 days with bags over their head and their fingers in their ears. I believe Joshua and Caleb were seeing everything the other ten were seeing. But what they did was they didn't allow the negativity to have an influence in their life. See, faith doesn't deny a problem that exists. It denies it a place of influence. Let me say that again. Faith doesn't deny that a problem exists. It just denies it as a place of influence. And here we see Joshua and Caleb, that they walked around and they saw the giants, they saw the fortified cities, they saw all the, all the um, inhabitants of the land, but they didn't allow that to determine the narrative over their life and over the nation of Israel. I can imagine that Joshua and Caleb, maybe they were together, maybe they split up in pairs. I'm not sure exactly what happened here, but I can imagine every day that they were constantly reminding themselves about what God had done in the past. Hayden shared about this last week, about the power of testimony. I believe that Joshua and Caleb were encouraging each other, encouraging themselves, saying, hey, remember not long ago when that whole Egyptian army was wiped out? We've got these guys. And every time they see something else, they say, yeah, but God has promised it. He's not going to let us down. And I believe this was their dialogue. This was their narrative for 40 days. But we know that the other 10 spies had a different narrative. They allowed unbelief to come in because they didn't remember God's will, His word and His promises. To try and make this more practical, just imagine if God is calling you to change careers and you really feel like, hey, Lord, the Lord is calling me, I need to pursue this career change. And so you go and do the appropriate things and you go and enroll and you study and you really feel, hey, this is what God is calling me to do in this season. How many know that you could finish studying and just be fixing up your resume to apply for jobs in this field, this profession. And all of a sudden you could have a moment where you're like, hang on, am I really qualified? I've done the study. I'm just about to lodge my applications. But am I really qualified? See, this happens to us all the time. It happens to me all the time, this type of thing. And we're sitting there and as we're about to lodge an application, this thought comes into our mind and says, well, do you even know if there's many jobs in this profession? 
And maybe all of a sudden you go and you jump on Google and you Google how many jobs in this profession and it comes up that there's not many jobs. And you're like, are you serious? And then maybe you're like, hey, I wonder if my GPA is high enough for me to actually get into this profession. And maybe you have a think about that and these thoughts start coming saying, hey, there's so many other people competing with you. There's no way you can get a job in this profession. And then maybe you're talking to a friend and they're just like, hey, I've been going to job interview after job interview. I just can't get a job in this profession. All of a sudden, you believe the promise of God over your life, but, but here, what's happening is you're allowing other seeds to start having influence in your life. And before we know it, we can actually create a whole narrative that actually says that, hey, I'm not qualified for this. This isn't the will of God. And I'll just go back and work at McDonald's. McDonald's isn't one of our sponsors yet, by the way. But how many know, I've, I've actually met someone who they felt the Lord was leading them to, to, to certain things and right at the last minute they allowed unbelief and doubt to come in and actually change their whole direction in their life. Why? Because we create a narrative of unbelief. I want to encourage us this morning. I can't stress this enough. We see in Joshua that Joshua was, was commanded to meditate on the words day and night. Don't depart from it. Don't turn to the right or the left, but meditate on the words of God. What has God said over your life? What's God's will? What promises has he given you? Maybe this morning you're here and you're like, hey, I'm in some trouble. <laughs> I've got a really bad doctor's report and I don't have any promises of God to stand on. I'm glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17. This is what it says. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me declares the Lord. Right now, if you're up against something, if the enemy is harassing you, get this verse. This is the promise of God over your life that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why don't we say that together this morning? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Once more, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And we get this verse, we get these promises, and, and you might be saying, Ben, well, you've just picked an obscure verse. No, no, this is actually on the pages of the whole Bible, on every page. Is promises of God, all seen through the Gospels, is promises of God that he is for us, He's not against us. He is bringing us into exceeding hope. And so we grab a, a verse, a promise like this, and we start declaring it. We say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And all of a sudden, of course, there's an opposing seed in that garden. 
Maybe it's symptoms. Maybe it's other things. And once again, faith doesn't deny a problem. That's not going to do anybody any good. But it just denies it a place of influence. And so we anchor our affection in the one who is forever faithful. But number one, how do we starve those seeds of doubt? We do exactly what Joshua and Caleb did. We overcome unbelief by knowing God's will, his word, and his promises. Number two, we overcome unbelief by rejecting fear. We see here in verse 5 of chapter 14 of Numbers, coming back to our story. Here the assembly, these, these spies are, are all whinging, they're complaining. They're saying that there's no way that God can be victorious on their behalf. And chapter 14 and verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Here we have Caleb and Joshua, and once again, I, I, I would understand that not long ago they've seen the whole Israelite army being defeated. For them, because they've been operating in another level, they, they've, these seeds of doubt, they've quickly got rid of them. They're probably astonished at the unbelief of the other ten. And here we see that they plead with them. They plead with them and they say, don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. Do not be afraid of them, for the Lord will be with us. In verse 32 of chapter 13, it's, it's interesting here because when, when the ten give the report, they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Fear creates narratives that aren't even true. Here they've spent 40 days in it, and now they're coming back saying, hey, this land devours anyone that goes in it. It's like, well, you guys are alive, aren't you? Now, fear creates these narratives that aren't even true. And here we see that Joshua and Caleb stood there, and they didn't allow to give in to fear but they stood firm. Fear creates strongholds in our thinking, in our minds. Creates strongholds. There's a verse here in 2 Corinthians 10. I actually want you to turn to it um, if you've got your Bible. 2 Corinthians 10.
personally, in my journey to overcome fear, this is what I've found incredible. And here it is, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me read this in the Passion Translation. This is what it says. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of, prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. It says here, this verse says here, we take captive every thought. When I first had a revelation and learnt about this in the renewing of my mind, I started taking every thought captive. Every thought that came into my mind, this was a few years ago, I started taking every thought that came into my mind and I started taking it like a prisoner of war and I started to look at it and say, is that in opposition to God or is that in agreement with God? And if it was in opposition to God, I flushed it. How many know that after two days I was exhausted? I was doing a lot of flushing. It's exhausting. Because for years I just allowed any thought that comes into my head, I'd created a narrative, a fantasy on it. And all of a sudden, how many know that you can drive along and you can see something, have a thought, half an hour later you get to your destination and that thought has taken you on a spiral and you're down the bottom here in a really toxic way of thinking. And so I started to take every thought captive, not half an hour later, but straight away. And if it didn't, if it was opposition to God, I flushed it. I literally would picture myself putting this thought in the toilet and flushing it. It helped me. This, this picture of me actually taking that thought, I would drive, let's say I drive along, I see a, a child walking along crossing the road, and I'd be like, hey, Mia and Tom are at school today. I know they're crossing the road. Is something bad going to happen? Are they going to get hit by a car? Right? Take the thought. Flush it. And like I said, I was exhausted. After two days of that, I was exhausted. Because I was used to just allowing any narrative that came into my mind, fear, just dictate to me what I was thinking and what I was doing. I want to encourage you this morning that just like Joshua and Caleb, they had to make a decision against fear. We actually don't have to give in to fear. I'm a prime example of that. My natural tendency is to be fearful. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you can actually get victory over fear. And for me, quoting this verse... Taking every thought captive was a huge way of actually um, renewing my mind to, to things that were, were on God's agenda, to renewing my mind and things that he approved of. And anything in opposition got flushed. I encourage you, if you want to have faith, if you want to be, the, be ones that, 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 that see the, the, uh, the promises of God fulfilled over your life, we have to do away with fear. He's not given it a, he has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but love, power, and a sound mind. Rejecting fear is a way that we starve these seeds of unbelief. I don't know about you, but in my life and in my mind and my heart, seeds of unbelief will come. But what I want to do is starve them where they don't even take root. Where there's just this pure faith that actually can see impossibilities bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Because like Jesus said, the issue isn't with the faith. Even a grain of mustard seed sized faith can move a mountain, can raise the dead, can see that financial provision happen, to see you get that job, to see that healing. So number two, how we overcome unbelief is by rejecting fear. Fear is one of the the major ways that the enemy works, fear and intimidation. Number three, we see here in this story with Joshua and Caleb that a third way that they overcame unbelief was believing in God's love and his goodness. Number three, believing in God's love and his goodness. It's interesting that God doesn't just have love or do love, he is love. The ten spies, they had the promise of God, but they didn't actually believe that God had the best interest for them. We see here in verse 1 of, we'll go back to Numbers. In verse 1 of chapter 14, This is after these 10 spies have come back and given a negative report. It said, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to be back in Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I'd like to propose this morning that these guys didn't understand the heart of God. Here we see that unbelief had so clouded their judgment that all the miracles that God had done in the past, delivering them from the Egyptians, all the provision, the manner, the miracles of leading them all to the way and hear the dialogue, hear their thought processes. Hey, God has actually brought us here to kill us. Because unbelief so clouded their judgment, they actually questioned the nature of God. Is it all right if we have the worship team come up now? We're going to sing Battle Belongs again at the end. The people, because of the unbelief, they then started creating these thought processes, these narratives in their mind that not only God wanted to kill them, that Moses wanted to kill them.
How many times, and I've been there so often, when we get into a problem or there's an issue, we start to question the nature of God. We start to question, does he really love me? Because I've got this issue. Or we start to say, if it is God's will, then I should be healed. Or maybe, has, maybe God has given me this sickness. We start to say these things because we start to question his goodness and his love. This morning, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. We see right through the Gospels that there was never anybody that came to Jesus and he refused their healing and said, hey, it's to teach you a lesson. I'm not saying that God doesn't work things out together for good. I believe that wholeheartedly. There wasn't anyone that came to Jesus and he said, hey, it's not the Father's will that you be healed. Luke says that he healed all their sick. Jesus is perfect theology. This morning where God wants to take us individually and as a church, it's going to take faith. It's going to take faith to see the promises of God revealed over our life and over our church. And sometimes the issue isn't with our measure of faith. It's the other seeds. It's the unbelief that are in our heart, in our minds. The end of the story here in Numbers is that not did these spies, it wasn't like because of their unbelief they didn't get to go into the promised land, although that's unfortunate. The end of the story is they actually died because of their unbelief. That whole generation of unbelieving actually died. And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones from that generation that went into the promised land. I can imagine when these 10 spies are, are saying, hey, we can't take the land. When they gathered around and they was talking and saying, hey, how about we appoint a new leader to take us back to Egypt? I'm sure they were sincere. Maybe some of them even said, this is wisdom that we go back to Egypt. But at the end of the story, we know it was their unbelief. Where God is calling us as a church to go, we need people who have faith and no unbelief. And this morning is to actually encourage you that what is possible as we follow the example of Joshua and Caleb, and we actually see those seeds of unbelief actually die and wither up in our life. 
I believe as we see this happening, as we put these three things in practice, we'll see breakthrough that we've never seen before. We'll see the glory of God in here like we've never seen before. We'll see our community being impacted by the love and power of Jesus as we go out, preach the gospel. This morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I can identify that I've got some seeds of unbelief in my life. I've got some faith, but I've got some things that are opposing that very powerful faith in my life. Maybe it is your inability to to, to lean and lean into the promises of God, to His Word, to His will. Maybe it is this issue of fear. Or maybe you just need a fresh revelation of His love, of His goodness in your life. But any unbelief actually starts with repentance. It actually starts with a saying, Lord, there's seeds in my heart that are competing for the nutrients, competing for the the moisture, the sunlight, for this very powerful thing, this measure of faith that you've given me. I don't believe at all that we're here by accident. I don't believe for a moment that this church is here by accident. I don't believe for a moment that the 70 odd acres that we have that the church owns around here is by accident. I actually believe that the Lord has positioned us, strategically positioned us in such a place, in such a time that we will be using every bit of land for kingdom purposes. And I'm just not talking about rental income. How many know it's more than that? How many know that in the next decade, about 100,000 people will be moving right into our neighborhood, Caboolture West? The Lord has strategically put us here. So as a church to climb that mountain, to see the promises of God fulfilled over us, we've got a bag full of prophecies. What is it going to take? It's going to take people of faith. It's going to take people, just like you and me, as we're encouraged every day, to do away with the unbelief, to not allow the seeds of unbelief to grow, to take root in our life. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to go down in history as one of those who never entered into the promises because of my lack of faith. I believe that the Lord would have so much more that we haven't even comprehend as we step into faith, as we increase in this journey of faith. This morning I felt like we probably always do, that the Lord is here to heal people this morning. I felt like there was impossibilities in your life that the Lord is going to be breakthrough today. And so we're going to sing this song again. If, If you're here this morning and you're like, hey, You're just like the man who came to Jesus, which I am so many times. You say, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I believe the Lord is going to give you a a, a measure, a, a, a gift of faith this morning.
and to see those seeds of unbelief done away with. If that's you this morning, you're like, hey, maybe you're believing for someone else. I want you to come out and proxy for that person. Maybe you come this morning and you say, hey, I want to just start and repent of my unbelief. I want to repent of my negativity. Whatever it is, maybe you just need God to do a miracle in your life. The prayer team's going to come forward and we're going to sing this song again. These words are powerful. This song declares what we're believing God for. So if that's you right now, why don't you come? I believe God is here to heal. He's in this place to heal. He's here, here to, see, to see reconciliation in so many areas. Why don't we stand this morning together?